You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. God, you like what you feel tonight? Amen. God's still everything. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, music team, for leading us into the presence of God. We have been truly honored this weekend to have Brother Daniel Bernard. And hasn't he done such a great job delivering the word of the Lord? Amen. It's been so nice getting to connect with him. Uh, Right now, he's living in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, he's serving as the promotions coordinator for NAM, which is North American Missions. He's a former youth president at Royalwood Church. I believe he's got eight years of service at that church. And uh, he is just an awesome guy. And it's been so nice to get to know him. And I believe he's got a word for us tonight. If we would just listen to the man of God, I believe he's going to give us some direction. I believe that God's getting set to bring somebody out of the wilderness. Amen. In Jesus' name, would you just make him feel welcome as he comes tonight? Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, I feel uh, so pressed in my spirit tonight. I believe that God has been doing something incredible. If you want to just remain standing, I want to do something a little backwards, I guess, tonight. Normally, I would launch into a text, but I truly believe sometimes I mistake um, the presence of God and the, the, the agitation of the spirit, if you will, with what's happening on the platform, and God does use that. But I think something more powerful, and I said this Friday night, is when everybody, the entire congregation comes in unity, and what I begin to hear is begin to worship is all across this place, people crying out, people speaking in tongues, the Spirit of God being released. So I just wonder before we move any further in this service, would it be okay if we just pause for a minute and just begin give to give God some worship where there's not a single note being played on a piano, there's not a lyric on the screen, there's nothing leading us, there's nothing prompting us, but my question is, is there anybody tonight that has come here to experience experience the power of God, the Spirit of God being poured out upon us. Can we just worship God together? Let's do that just for a moment. Oh God, we worship you. Yes, that's what I've come for tonight. I've come tonight to worship in unity with you. I've come to experience the power of God fall. I've come to experience the fire of God move. Oh, yes, that's it. Can we just worship God together? That's why we're here. Everything can change right now in the presence of God. If you've got a concern, call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. I don't know where to turn, but Jesus, in your name there is power. Jesus, in your name there is healing. Yes, that's it. Break through what's a little bit uncomfortable. Break through our normal comfort zone of what we do. I just want to break the norm tonight. This is not how we do church. But I believe if, if the people of God will call on his name, something can happen right now. Before the word of God goes forth, healing can take place. Restoration can take place. Strength can be given because the people of God call on his name. Does anybody want his power? Does anybody want his spirit? Does anybody want him to move? Oh, God, we need you, Lord. Yes, that's it. I feel something stirring in the spirit. 
I feel something shifting in the atmosphere. This is what we've been waiting for all weekend. This is what we've been talking about all weekend. This is what we've been praying to be released all weekend. It's happening. It's happening. It's shifting. It's changing. Oh, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, I thank you, Lord, for your presence. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, there's such a sweet spirit of God moving over this place right now. If there's something you need, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for a cue from somebody. You don't have to wait for someone to lay hands on you. You can call on the name of Jesus right where you are and receive what you need. Oh, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Lord, we need you tonight. Hallelujah. I'm hesitant to even move any further because I believe there's such a powerful worship presence here tonight. There's such a powerful move of the Spirit. But I'm going to read my text and I'm going to move quickly because I believe I'm going to have a somewhat of a short message, but I believe there's going to be a response tonight. And let me just tell you from the outset what I believe is going to happen tonight. I believe that somebody is going to be set on fire with the power and the presence of God in this place. I believe that somebody is going to be refilled tonight. I believe that somebody's spirit is going to be reignited with a passion for God. So I just want to know, is there anybody ready to receive something from God here tonight? And I'm not speaking of my own power or my own thoughts. In fact, I want to read from Matthew 3.11. The New Living Translation, it says this. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. Speaking of Jesus, so much greater that I'm not worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with, and everyone say together, fire. We are baptized when we receive the Holy Ghost. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. My message tonight is fire in the wilderness. Fire in the wilderness. Somebody, can you just put your hands together and thank God that we receive his spirit? But we don't just receive a spirit. We receive the fire of God. Yes, that's it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated tonight. You know, when we say fire, many times there's a negative connotation when we speak of it now, and it may seem odd to say, is anyone be ready to be set on fire? But to really understand the context a little bit, we have to go to the Old Testament and look at fire. And let me just say at the outset that when the Bible speaks of fire, unless it explicitly speaks of it in a negative way, usually what it means is it's talking about the purifying fire of God. When someone speaks about fire, they're speaking about the process that God takes us through to refine us and purify us. We see fire in Exodus chapter 3. We understand we're baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. So let me just give you a little ammunition on what this fire of God really is. We see Moses, Exodus 3, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness. you got to understand where Moses is. He's on the backside of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, running away from everything that he's supposed to be. He's running from God. He's done some things, and now he is, he is far off and far away from where God has destined him to be. But it says in verse 2, there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why is it that this bush isn't burning up? I must go see. 
When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. And God begins to speak to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. God answered, I will be with you and this will be your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Now we see this burning bush experience, and it's amazing. Why is it incredible? Is there anything incredible about a bush burning in the wilderness or in a, in a hot place? No, that's pretty normal. Fire is, is very normal in many instances. But what's unique about this fire is normally what we would think of as a destroying fire, normally what would be seen as something that would destroy this object, this burning bush, actually is something that God uses. So what I'm saying is when I understand the fire of God changes things, what that means is when God sets something on fire, he can take something as ordinary as a bush in the wilderness and he can make it supernatural so how much more can he take your life how much more can he take the events of your circumstances and take something so natural take something so unspecial take something so normal and do something supernatural I'm telling somebody here today that with the power of God you can do incredible things you can be set on fire for God the fire in the burning bush first of all it drew Moses to it because he knew there was something different. He was probably accustomed to seeing fire, I'm sure, but yet there was something different about this fire. It was supernatural. Not only that, but it was proof enough for him to believe that it was the Lord. Let me tell you something, when you're set on fire by God, when you're living after the things of God, you don't have to prove yourself, just be who you are and people will recognize, oh, there's something different about you. What is it? I've seen people that are excited before, I've seen people that are kind before, but you, there's something I don't quite understand. When Moses encountered this fire, it immediately drew his attention and he said, there's something different, there's something unique. I've gotta go see what this is. I've gotta go see what this is about. And in this fire, when Moses came close, it gave him direction. It gave him purpose. If you're frustrated in your life, as we talked about this morning, this entire weekend, what I feel like God has called me to do is to prepare people and set the stage for what God wants to do and help you understand some things. But tonight, I feel there's going to be a release in the Spirit of God. Tonight, I feel there's going to be a release in the presence of God that says, God, I know what I need to do, but today I'm going to step into it. I'm not going to be complacent. I'm not going to be content. I've got to move forward and do what you called me to do. This fire gave Moses purpose and direction. When God starts a fire, he makes the ordinary extraordinary. When God starts a fire, he makes common places into holy places. Is there anything special about this building? Is there anything uh, spiritual about this carpet? No, there's nothing spiritual about this actual building. What's spiritual? When we come into this place in the name of Jesus, when we come together, all of a sudden, this very ordinary building turns into something extraordinary. Can you attest to that? This very common edifice come, turns into something where we can say, you know what, the moment I walk onto this campus, I feel something different. My prayer is that when a guest walks and sets foot into this house, that we say, can say, God, you live here. So when someone steps in, they can say, oh, there's something different about this church. And what is it? It's the fire of God inside his people. It's the fire of God that dwells within you and I. When you look at Moses, you realize that the fire of God turns running people into called people. Moses was running. 
Maybe you've been running from your calling. But I believe if you will encounter the fire of God, you can get confidence, you can get back on track, and you can get back to doing what God has called you to do. Young people, listen to me. If you want to know what God has for your life, we've talked about calling this weekend, we've talked about dedication, we've talked about a lot of things. But if I can tell you one thing, it's this. Get set on fire for God, and don't let anything extinguish your passion. Don't let anything extinguish your exuberance for God, and say, no matter what happens, God, I've got to feel your fire, I've got to trust in you, and I've got to move forward. If you're set on fire for God, common things turn into extraordinary things. We talked about this morning the pillar of fire in Exodus chapter 13 that led the people. With this fire, God gave his people direction in a desert place. If you don't know where to go, if you don't know where to turn, if it seems dark around you, trust me, the fire of God can lead you as it led these people. And this is Exodus 13. We talked about it this morning, but verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now the people could have probably navigated in some way through the wilderness. But that wasn't the point. The point is they needed to go the direction that God wanted them to go. By the pillar of fire, God provided divine direction for his people. I'm so thankful that God makes his will known. God's fire gives direction to lost people. The fire of God can give direction in a desert season. And another story we see is the contest on Mount Carmel. In the middle of a drought of the third year, God tells Elijah the prophet to go to King Ahab and tell him, I will soon send rain. And look at the stage set in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22. Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Look at those odds. Now he says, now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal can choose whichever one they wish. Cut it to pieces, lay the wood on the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God and the people of God. Let the God who answers by fire be God. I make that same declaration to us tonight. Let the God who answers by fire be my one and true God. He was outnumbered 450 to 1. And look what happens. Elijah says, you go first. There's so many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call in the name of your God, but don't set fire to the wood. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. They prepared it. They called the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, oh, answer us. But there was no reply. They danced, hobbling around the altar they had made around noontime. He began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself, or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. It's some pretty hardcore stuff. Their worship continued to a god that wouldn't answer. And look at this. What started as calling on the name of Baal produced no result. They moved on to dancing. They moved on to demonstrative worship. So far, this kind of looks similar to the way we worship. But the difference is, this is a God who will never answer. So look what happens next. They're dancing to the devil's beat, and it always takes you somewhere else. Whenever you shift your worship and give it to the wrong God, it may start looking the same when you begin, but it will always take you places you don't want to go. Look what happens next. They're trying to set a fire with no power. They're trying to start a fire with a God who can't hear them. They're trying to find fire in the wrong thing. And we see this as a literal fire, but again, in our life, we're talking about purpose We're talking about the will of God. We're talking about the power of God. And we look for it in other things, but look what happens. 
Verse 28, so they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. I see similarities in our own lives when we turn our worship to something other than God. We will go to great lengths to fill the God-sized void in our life. The truth is this, our soul was made to worship God. It's the only thing it can do. So the question is not, are you worshiping? The question is, what are you worshiping? Because the only purpose of your soul, the only activity of your soul is to worship. So the choice, my friend, is not, am I going to worship? It's where am I going to direct that worship? And where you direct that worship, where you look to for fire, is going to dictate what you do with your life. Our soul was made to worship. Elijah called and he said, come over here. And they all crowded around him after he had repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. So what we see in this is that before he did anything else, he had to rebuild the altars that had been broken. So somebody today, maybe you've come to church and you want the fire of God, you want to feel God's presence. But before you do that, you've got some altars that you've got to rebuild We talked about this weekend, but before we want to see a public battle, we've got to make some private consecrations. So maybe tonight, maybe for you to experience the fire of God, you've got to go and rebuild some things in your life. You've got to go and rebuild some things in your home. You've got to say, oh God, there's some things that I've been neglecting. There's some altars I've been neglecting, but I've got to rebuild those things because I want to experience your power. I've got to rebuild some things because I want to experience your fire. And we see these prophets What began looking very similar to our worship, demonstrative and singing and dancing, turned into cutting themselves. And we see in this passage, I believe that we see that self-harm begins as a twisted form of worship to try to get an answer from a God that will never hear you or never answer you. Think about it. We see this self-harm played out in this moment of worship, and we would say, that's unbelievable, but, but what links will we go to to try to get comfort? How far will we go to try to fill the void that only God can fill? Maybe it's not self-harm for you, but what is it that you turn to when you're looking for fire that will never fill you? Let me just remind somebody tonight that outside of the presence of God, you may have pleasure for a season, but at some point, it's going to come to your destruction. I'm calling on somebody tonight to turn back to God and say, oh God, I've got to give my life back to you. I've given my life to the wrong things. I've looked to the wrong things for pleasure. I've looked to the wrong things to fill the void in my life, but God, I want your fire. God, nothing else will satisfy. I want your fire, oh God. So Elijah rebuilds the altar in the name of the Lord. He digs a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He, He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull to pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jugs with jars with water. Pour the water over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, verse 34, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Why is this important? Because again, we see what we've seen so many times in the past. Elijah is creating impossible circumstances for fire to take place. Elijah is creating impossible circumstances for a man-made fire. And at some point in our life, in my life, there's been times when I think I know enough about church that I can kind of just make this up on my own. 
I think, you know what, I can take matters into my own hands. I, I know what to do. I know how to live. And, and sometimes I get so caught up in the routine of the things of God, hear me now, that I actually walk away from the God of that routine. Oh, Lord, let me never get so caught up in the work of God that I forget the God of the work. The worst thing I can do is put on this nice suit and come to church and just clap my hands and wave my hands, but never actually experience the fire of God. I'm calling on somebody that you are a faithful saint, but you know what? If you're being honest with yourself, you've been settling for a man-made fire just to come and clap and say, I did what I needed to do. I checked the box and I went about my day. No, I think you need to say, oh God, I maybe need to douse some water on this thing because it can't be me, oh God. It can't be my emotion. I've got to tap into something deeper. I've got to tap into something more powerful. I need your fire, God. The fire of God can't be stopped. Verse 36, at the usual time for offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. So not only was he trying to prove something about God, but the fire of God gave validation to God and to him. He said, the only way I can get validation about who I am is to see your power. It can't be in my merit. It can't be in my ability. Oh, God, I need people to see that you are God and that I am your servant. Prove today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. It's not about me. Oh, God, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God, and you have, brought them, uh, you have brought them back to yourself. The Bible says, immediately the fire of God flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench, and all the people saw it. They fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. So what we see here is, that first of all, Elijah was going up 1 to 450, but he brought an incredible truth with him to that battle, if you will, and that's this. You plus God equals a majority. It doesn't matter how many people you're facing. Elijah said, the only thing I need to know is you are the one true God and I am your servant. And Elijah didn't worry about his enemies until he offered a sacrifice. And we got to understand this. If you want to win your battles, you got to offer a sacrifice first. You want to win in this life? You want to be successful? You've got to have the fire of God first. God can't defeat your enemies until he ignites a fire within you. Elijah got this correct. You plus God equals a majority. Do you know what happened after God sent his fire? He sent the rain. They had been in a drought, and the fire of God started a chain reaction that led to a cloud the size of a man's hand that represented the coming rain. Maybe you've been in a drought. You've been in a wilderness season like we talked about this morning. But before God sends the rain, you've got to build an altar. Even when you're overwhelmed, you've got to build an altar, even when you feel outnumbered, because he's got to send his fire first, and then he can send his rain. Then we come to Matthew where John is talking to people, explaining what's going to happen when Jesus comes, as I read already. And he said, one comes after me that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
now that we've looked at some of these examples in the Old Testament, and there are many more, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read them. When I look at these examples of fire, the fact that Moses looked at a burning bush and received direction and received instruction and a fire that burned but did not consume it. Now when I bring this in, I'm just going to be honest, I get a little excited when I read about the fire of God. You know why? Because this is what I understand. When I see the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we know this, we know this, this passage, we love it. Acts chapter 2, it says, on the day of Pentecost, I'm going to read the New Living Translation, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They have now been baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like John said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and in fire. Again, the fire he's directly referencing is the refiner's fire, the fire of purification. As I said, unless you see otherwise, fire in Scripture is not a bad thing. It, it, it's, it's sanctification. It's purification. But what we have to understand is this. I may say, oh God, why don't we see some of those things now? Why, don't, why can't I see a pillar of fire? Why can't I see an altar being uh, licked up by fire like in the Old Testament? And this is what I think. So many times God in the Old Testament was working for his people, was showing things for his people. But what we see now, the significance of being filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire is that same fire that was working for God's people in the Old Testament is now working in God's people. So what am I saying tonight? I'm saying that you have that same fire. That same fire that led the Israelites' people now resides in me. So I don't have to look anywhere else. Why? Because I've got that fire myself. God has sent his Holy Spirit and his fire. I'm trying to tell you that this fire is for you. I'm here to tell you that the same spirit that spoke to Moses in the burning bush is residing within us now. That fire that turned an ordinary shrub in the middle of nowhere to a supernatural thing that God could use. When you're set on fire by God, he takes your ordinary and combines it with his extraordinary to make something that will draw people. The fire that drew Moses will draw people to you. Why? Because you have the fire of God. When you're set on fire by God, people will notice something about you. The fire that spoke to Moses, that same word that he used, that inspired bush, if you will, that, that spoke out to Moses, we can have that same experience, not because of our strength, not because of our power, but because the Holy Spirit can embolden us and empower us that someone will say, you know what, I've seen fire before, but I have never seen a fire like this. I've seen people that have been excited before, but this is something different. Why am I so excited tonight? Because what's happening is not about me, it's about God and what he can do with a very ordinary person. His fire, that fire was ignited in the wilderness on the backside of a mountain and God intends to ignite you in the wilderness of sin around you to burn for him. The same fire that led the Israelite people out of Egypt and showed them the way that God willed for them to go resides within your spirit when you're filled with his spirit and it can lead other people to him. We serve the God that answers by fire. 
We serve the God that can do the impossible. We serve the only true and living God. We serve the God that can save you. We serve the only God that can hear you. We serve the only God that can deliver you. We serve the only God that answers when you pray. Do you hear me tonight? We serve the God that answers when you shout. We serve the God that answers by fire. The voice of God can be found in the fire. The direction of God can be found in the fire. If you need to hear from God, let him set your spirit on fire. If you need direction, let him set your heart on fire. If you feel outnumbered, let him set you on fire. If you need victory tonight, let God set you on fire. Will you stand with me tonight? I don't feel the need to belabor this point because I believe what God wants to do if the musicians want to come is not about what I can preach to you or show you because, again, I could, I could go on and on and on because fire is found all throughout the Scripture. But this is what I believe God wants to do. I believe God wants to move in this place because if we're not on fire, how will people see God in the wilderness of their sin? If we're not on fire by God, how will people be drawn to him? I can have everything that God intends for me, but if I'm not set on fire, I will not draw people to me. These stories aren't just fairy tales. They're alive and well in this room. There are people in this room that shouldn't be here, but God saved you from where you were or where you were headed and set you on fire. If you feel like your fire has gone out tonight, we're going to reignite it with a little time of worship in Jesus' name. If you've never received the Holy Ghost, this is the atmosphere you can receive it in. Not because I'm a, a good preacher, not because of anything I said, but because God is here. When we are here, gathered in his name, his presence is here. His fire is here. So somebody, even if it's just one person I believe, is going to engage with that presence of God. When you set something on fire in the natural, two things happen. One, there's an immediate reaction, and two, there's a permanent change. And I think the same thing can happen. And what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to, I'm going to call, especially the young people, I want us to come down, I want us to worship together in a moment. That's what we're going to do. A little bit different, but we're just going to take some time and worship God. Because do you know how the, the easiest way to set something on fire? What is the easiest way to set something on fire? Put it next to something that's already on fire. The easiest way to ignite something that may have difficulty is to put it next to something that's already on fire. So what am I saying? I'm saying that you may feel like, you know what, I'm doing okay. I feel like I'm following after things of God, but I need your worship. I need your community. Why? Because maybe the person next to you has been faking it a little bit, and they're not actually feeling the fire of God. But if we can just get together and begin to worship God and begin to praise God like we were doing earlier, what happens? A fire begins to ignite within us. Something begins to be stirred up within us. If I'm not on fire, how can people see God in their wilderness? If, people, if you're not on fire, how will people know which way to go? And I want to tell you a story. Because I've seen the fire of God at work in my own life. God still heals. God can heal in the fire of his presence. God can restore in the fire of his presence. Last year, my wife uh, was helping at, a, at an event. And, and she was hurrying around in the church kitchen. And, and somebody had spilled some, uh, some salad dressing. And she didn't know. And she ran into this kitchen. And she slipped. And both feet went out from under her, and she fell all the way to the ground and struck her temple on a commercial metal table. She blacked out immediately. I didn't know. Someone came and got me, and we didn't know the severity of it because she didn't realize she had blacked out. And she said, I'm fine. I think I just fell. She didn't know that she slipped so hard and so fast that she literally went from her feet directly to her temple on the ground. She went from being on her feet to her temple, striking a table with such force. She was okay for about a day. But then two days later, her eye began to swell up. Her eye began to swell shut. Her eyelid began to swell. Her, her, the side of her face began to turn black. We rushed her to the emergency room. We took her to the emergency room first, and they said, oh, you're okay, and they gave her some pain meds and sent her home. But then we went back, 
and long story short, went to a concussion specialist. And they said, ma'am, you have a severe concussion. You have a severe concussion. And they, they did a test with her eyes, and she was not able to follow the directions of the doctor with her eyes. And they said, there's several systems in your, in your brain that have been knocked offline to the system called the vestibular system. I'd never heard of it before. But the thing that basically tells, uh, tells your brain that something is farther away from this eye than it is this eye, the thing that calibrates that, they said, was not working. And then on top of that, her liver and kidney uh, numbers and functions were, were going through the roof. And we went home, and two days later, she was sitting at the kitchen table. And I went down to talk to her, and she was sitting up looking at me. And I began to speak to her, and she wasn't responding. Eyes open, sitting there, but completely non-responsive. I got her, rushed her back to the hospital. They took more tests. They, they took her numbers, and they said, we don't know. Your liver doesn't look good. Your kidneys don't look good. We think that maybe you struck your head so hard that you shocked your body. They said the prognosis is months of physical therapy, months of, of therapy for your mind and your brain. We don't really know. We don't even grade concussions anymore. They used to say you got a grade one, grade two, grade three. They said we, we can't even tell that because we don't know enough about it. Everyone's brain is different. You may have symptoms for the rest of your life. And what you, you don't know, but the wife, she has some, some built-in fear because her mother had a brain aneurysm. And all those, those things are connected. She grew up with her mother having brain surgery and therapy. So all of a sudden, as you can imagine, she began to live in fear. And we didn't know what the prognosis was. And I said, you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I said, I'm not going to put things on social media to try to get sympathy. I said, I'm going to put things on social media. I'm going to call people because we're going to start praying together. I'm, if I'm going to be honest, my faith was a little bit low. But I had enough sense to say, you know what? I need to get with some people that have got some faith because I feel a little afraid. I don't know what's going on. My wife's not doing well. And we left the doctor's office. And the day after, the day after I put something on social media, the day after I began texting people, if I'm going to be honest, I didn't have a, a very spiritual moment myself. It wasn't like I did something and I felt, oh, this is going to be it. But the very next day she woke up and her eyesight felt clear. She began to walk and it was just fine. And we went back to the doctor. It was just not even a week later. And at the time, it didn't really feel very miraculous. But the concussion specialist said, I, he said, I had never met you before, so I had no idea how terrible you were. But the person that I'm looking at today, you are not the same person that I saw just a few weeks ago. He said, you don't need any therapy. He said, all of your brain functions are back to normal. I can't explain it. I don't understand why. But you know what it is? It was the fire of God when the people of God began to pray and get together. God moved and God healed my wife. I'm not talking about something that happened years ago. I'm talking about my wife and my family. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.